You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my friend Gil Martin, and my name is J.J. Leahy. Gil's a writer for thesportsdaily.com and Cheesehead TV. And in addition to this podcast, I host the Daily Cheese Green Bay Packers News Update. We're here to talk Packers because we're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Guiding you through the offseason from free agency to the draft and all the way to OTAs, we've got you covered. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, hit us up on Twitter at JJ Leahy or at Gil Packers, or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Well, Gil, that was a Super Bowl. It happened. Yeah, that that was the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> not the best of games, a very one-sided contest, and uh, all credit to Tampa Bay. Their defense overwhelming a banged-up Kansas City offensive line. Man, the general consensus, you have to tell me what it was like, because you live out in New York. I am I live in, in Michigan. I did not hear hardly anybody who enjoyed that Super Bowl, which is interesting because I know a lot of folks around here were rooting for Tampa Bay. That's because it was so one-sided, I think. Yeah, it, it was definitely one-sided. I, I tell you, you know, I don't really like seeing uh, teams win it back-to-back you know, repeat it to me. It's just, it's boring. If it's not my team, I have no interest in seeing another team win it back to back. So, uh, I was not too cut up that the chiefs won. I was actually sort of rooting for the Buccaneers just because I was so confident that they were going to win. And, you know, since I don't like either team, I decided I'm going to have the most fun at this party. If I just pick the team that does win, since I'm trying to make the most of this Terrible night anyways, <laughs> but I did have fun. My family and I got together and uh, we made some some nachos and uh, got a, got a, you know, it was it was a really nice evening and just got to reconnect with my family. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, the NFL is all about entertainment and uh, it sucks that we were not there. I think we would have beaten the, the Chiefs as badly as the Buccaneers did. I think that Pettin's defense was pretty uniquely set up to take away everything that the Chiefs like to do, which you definitely saw the Buccaneers doing. And, uh, you know, it, it. I guess it just wasn't meant to be. This season that felt like everything was lining up and everything was meant to be, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. I, I couldn't root for the Buccaneers after what they did to the Packers twice, no less. And uh, I just, I guess, as a football fan, I'm a little tired of seeing Tom Brady win so often. So I was rooting for the Chiefs, uh, and I guess Andy Reid has the Packers connection as well. But uh, in the end, they were just overwhelmed, and that offensive line could not protect Mahomes. Mahomes was playing hurt, and it just wasn't going to happen. You could tell by the third quarter that this was not going to be a close game at all. Yeah, and I will also say that the writing was on the wall for me because the Chiefs looked so terrible over the second half of this season. I mean, really, ever since their bye week, they have just, by Chiefs standards, they were terrible. They were playing from behind just about every week, and they had to come back at the very last second, and, you know, through some uh, masterful heroics, they would come back and win by, like, two points. And so every week I'm looking at it, I'm going, this just doesn't feel right to me. They, there's Something's just not, something's just not clicking over there. And uh, so them showing up and, 
only scoring three field goals. Honestly, it, it felt about right uh, to me a- after the way that the the last bit of their season went. And I know that they that they only w- lost one game with Mahomes all year, but there's a difference. I mean, we have seen over 2018, 2019, we saw this dominant, unstoppable Chiefs offense that a lot of the time was carrying along a pretty suspect Chiefs defense. I mean, their offense has just not looked like the Chiefs offense, and I think that they're going to have to do a little bit of reinventing over this offseason. I do wonder if uh, a little bit of this has to do with, it. you know, they have so much film out there now that NFL defenses kind of have some keys to shutting down what they have been running. So this will be a good challenge for them to come back and figure out what else can we do here, creative ways that we can use these pieces and stay ahead of all the defenses. Well, that's the challenge that Andy Reid is going to face trying to reinvent the team. And you know what? I'll go back to the 2011 Packers. If the Super Bowl would have been played in October that year, Green Bay was by far the best team in the NFL. As the season went on, they played less and less dominant football. And I think the Chiefs this year were the same way. By the time November and December rolled around, they were good, but they weren't dominant anymore. And then the injuries just did them in. I'll tell you what, next year, uh, if this 17th game ends up getting inserted into the schedule, um, the the Packers are rumored to be facing the Chiefs in that new game. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be an entertaining game, no doubt about that. Well, speaking of entertaining games, we're going to look at the 2020 Green Bay Packers. We're not going to do every game this week because we want to give each game the attention that it deserves. The plan is to get through the first eight games of the season, but we are going to uh, just see how far we get because, you know, if we're if we're finding some really good stuff uh, on each of these games, then uh, if we have, to, we have to add another episode in there, then that's what we'll do. So I'm excited because this was a really fun, pretty magical season. And honestly, from kickoff in week one, you could tell that it was going to be that way. Yeah, week one, I think, was in a lot of ways, it it foreshadowed what was coming for a good portion of the season. And uh, it was a very, very big win. And you have to go back almost in mindset. Week one in Minnesota, coming into the season, most experts thought that the Vikings would be the Packers' toughest competitor inside the NFC North. So you're on the road against the team that's supposed to be your biggest adversary in the division. And it was a big game. No preseason games, no OTAs. We know that no fans in the stands. So it was strange. We didn't know what to expect, but it really ended up setting the tone for the season. Well, and as you said, this is, you know, the experts were predicting that the Vikings were going to be really tough. And a lot of them, favored the Vikings to win the game. And this is why you can't trust the league-wide NFL so-called experts. you got to listen to people who actually know the teams. And, uh, you know, we weren't running this podcast yet at that point, but uh, I was absolutely convinced that it was going to be a blowout. I was actually surprised that we let the Vikings score as many points as we did, uh, which, you know, that right there week one was when I started to question, oh, gosh, man, You know, we knew in 2019 that we were not seeing the final form of this Matt LaFleur offense. And this clearly is what it can look like. But in week one, we had a massive issue with our defense. And that was something that colored, I would say, the narrative of the whole season. Um, But certainly all the way up to and even just past the bye week, 
uh, it was reflected in the score a lot of the time as well that our defense, they took a long time to get rolling. And honestly, I think a big part of that has to do with no fans. You saw clearly throughout the year that whenever the Packers were playing for fans, the defense played a heck of a lot better. You look at a guy like Zedarius Smith, a very um, emotionally motivated guy. I think that he just doesn't show up as much when he doesn't have the fans cheering for him because he clearly, I mean, that that fan energy just powers up his batteries like nothing else. And you see a different player on the field and the rest of the defense follows him. Yeah, he does set the emotional tone for the defense. And yeah, I think he and a lot of the players do feed off the energy that the fans give. But you know what? I want to talk about some of the things that happened in week one that really set the tone for the season. And to me, the first one obviously was we saw a different Aaron Rodgers than we saw in 2018 and 2019. And you knew that right away. And on the flip side, on the other side of the ball, Jair Alexander set the tone for the defense with the safety and the big interception before the half that really turned the momentum around and gave the Packers uh, you know, a, a big lead before the half. And those two guys really set the tone that ended up carrying the team on both sides of the ball throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, in many ways, it was one of the worst defensive performances of, of the year. But there were some categories in which it was a marked improvement over last year. Now, I'm not somebody who pretends to understand... Uh, how you know DVOA works or the you know expected points and all that stuff, but it is worth noting that uh, that week was the worst. Uh, sorry, the second worst um, performance by our defense uh, compared to expected points. Second only to the next time we played the Vikings uh. in week eight. Uh, and. One of the points that I was trying to make is that last year we had a pretty stout defense, but we were not, and we got a lot of turnovers last year, but on special teams, on defense, it's been a long time since you've seen positive points coming from the defense. And I think we had to wait until week two to get that uh, pick six, but you could see that the seeds were there. Uh, had Jair was all over the place. He was confusing the Vikings a lot, and he was creating opportunities for other DBs on the Packers roster. And, you know, here's the other thing we got to keep in mind is that both Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage were terrible to start the year. It took quite a few weeks for them to actually get rolling and start playing well. To, To begin the season, they didn't look anything like the safeties we had last year. Yeah, they they did get off to a slow start. And, you know, one other thing that happened in week one that drove Packer fans nuts and and haunted the team for a good portion of the year, Packers get up to a big lead. The defense plays a soft zone, doesn't rush more than three guys. And all of a sudden, in quote-unquote garbage time, the game gets close and the other team is back in the game. Packers had the big lead against the Vikings. Vikings, what they score? 24th? fourth quarter Third. points oh, in, yeah, in the fourth quarter. Yeah. In the fourth quarter, I think it was three touchdowns and three two point conversions. And all of a sudden the final score looks a lot closer than what the game actually was. But you know, that pattern 
was a big problem for the Packers defense throughout the season, and it showed up in week one. Well, and one thing that you pointed out about Aaron Rodgers looking so different in week one, week one, he had the most passing yards of the entire season with 364. Um, He cracked 300 a couple of times, but never got close to 364. And I believe that it was his highest graded uh, game via PFF uh, since 2011. So, and, and that, that set the tone for, I think, I think as early as week one, we were beginning the conversation of has Aaron Rodgers returned to his old form? Are we going to get an MVP season from him? And spoiler alert. Yes, we did. Yeah. And, uh, we, we saw the beginnings of that in week one, no question. Week two, I think was one of the, I think that was when I really started to recognize that this was an incredibly special year we were about to see. And for me, one of the biggest moments of that game, although I love the pick six, one of the biggest moments for me was when we had practically doubled the Lions score. We were up like 20 points and Matt LaFleur is still going for on a fourth down. He's still going for two and he's just glaring daggers across the field over at Matt Patricia. And I look back at, you know, the narrative around Matt LaFleur and the Packers, his his Packers offense last year. You know, they went 13 and three, made it one game away from the Super Bowl. And all year long, the narrative was that, that they didn't belong, that they were uh, but just coasting a lot on a lot of luck that they were the worst 13 and three team in history. And I think a lot of that goes back to the game against uh, the lions in which Booger McFarland was announcing the game. And uh, there's a reason that he doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> and you had the two hands to the face penalties toward the end of the game. One of which was bogus. And the NFL said, yes, it was bogus. The other one, Booger is just jumping up and down and screaming about it. And he's, you know, you're watching the replay and he's like, now what, what, tell me when his hand actually goes on his face as, uh, as his hand is on uh, Bakhtiari's face. And you're going, okay, I think this might be a big part of where this narrative comes from. And you look at in the, in those two games against the lions last year, or I should say 2019, because 2020 is already last year in 2019, we led for zero seconds across those two games, won both of them. But the, both of those games left a big, uh, pretty bad taste in your mouth. And I was at the second one in Detroit, and uh, it was a fun experience. But it was extremely stressful, and you walked away thinking, yeah, I don't know if we really deserve to win that game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it certainly was a different kind of a game in Week 2 against the Lions' home opener. And the first time we saw Lambeau Field with nobody there, and it was kind of eerie, to be honest with you. Week two against the Lions was the game that Aaron Jones really just burst out and he carried the team. I mean, he part of it was game plan. The Lions saw what Devontae Adams did to the Vikings the week previously, and they were determined to take him out of the game. Okay, that's fine. Aaron Jones is going to come on the scene and he absolutely just slayed the Lions. Um, That. I think there might not be a more hated person in Detroit right now than Aaron Jones after after that game. Yeah, and uh, you know the the big long touchdown run was really the difference. It kind of put the game away, and uh, all of a sudden, after two weeks, you realize how good this offense really looked. 
Yeah, Aaron Jones had uh, one, two, three, three touchdowns, mm-hmm. I think, in that game, uh, including that one really long one. And I think that, th- that one of the things about that game was you started to see that the Packers could win in multiple ways. Okay, we killed you through the air in week one. You decided to adjust against that, so we killed you on the ground in week two. And one of the things that sticks out to me is that we really saw the importance of having all the different kinds of playmakers we had on this roster. And we'll we'll get to the next couple of games in a second here, but week one, Devontae Adams was the reason we won that game. Week two, it was Aaron Jones. Week three, we don't have Aaron Jones or um, Devontae Adams available. And who steps up? Well, it's Al Mazard. Uh-huh. Week four, week four, it's Bob Tunyon. And you're looking at that and you're saying, we found four different ways to win. Four different guys stepped up at the right moment across four weeks. I think we can go all the way here because you you don't need to worry about, oh, well, what if uh, Devontae Adams has a bad day? What if Aaron Rodgers has a bad day? Well, that's fine. As long as other guys on the team do step up. Of course, there was one team that... Uh, we would fail to have anybody step up um, against, and and uh, we're going to talk about that on multiple episodes because of when those games against that team occurred. But uh, to me, that was one of the really early encouraging signs from this Packers uh, offense. Yeah, and Lazard had a career game in Week Three against the Saints, and that was you know everyone was talking about that game as a test. You're on the road, you're going up against a team that everyone thinks is going to be one of the top contenders in the NFC, along with Green Bay. And, you know, you're on national television and the Packers, the offense played outstanding. Lazard had his career game and the defense came up with big plays at just the right moment to give the Packers the win. It was also, however, uh, Lazard gets hurt after that game. He misses time. Christian Kirksey injured in that game as well. And the injuries just sort of started to mount on the Packers in week three. It was a costly win, even though it was a very big win. It was a bizarre win, too. And I will say, so during that Saints game, I I think that was the most frustrated with Petten and his defense that I got all year. And every time I think back on that game, it feels like it was later in the season than just week three. Because that was the last time that I was actually upset about the defense. There were there were games later on where we did allow uh, too many points, f- specifically the Colts game. Mm-hmm. But that was really different. And I think that looking at the Saints game, that was one where it felt like the offense was doing everything right. And the defense kept letting the Saints get back in the game. And that to, that was I was really frustrated, especially with all the missed tackles. I mean, Kamara embarrassed the Packers as handily as Aaron Jones had embarrassed the Lions the week previously. And at the same time, there were moments when the defense did step up. I I think back a lot of the time to Zadarius getting that. um, uh, Well, I guess it wasn't a a strip sack because he was he. So it was Taysom Hill, but I can't remember if he was passing or running on that play. Either way, he strips the ball uh, from. Taysom Hill and you know this is a big turning point in the game which I believe came right after uh, Aaron Jones's failed fourth down uh, attempt which I never liked 
to be from, you know, that that play call. I'm al- almost always in favor of going for it on fourth down, but that was a weird play call to me to decide to run it with Aaron Jones in that situation uh, to try and pick up the, the first down. It was a weird play call. It obviously didn't work, but you know what? At, at the end of the day, uh, this team was good enough to overcome those kind of mistakes. And the fact that they put up 37 points on the road in New Orleans was a very, very encouraging sign. And here's a team after three weeks that's averaging, you know, 40 points a game. And it took a long time for Alan Lazard to return to any kind of a competent form after that. I mean, he, first of all, he missed week after week after week with his core muscle injury I mean, early on in the season, I think, or early into his injury, we were questioning whether he could come back. And then we started to get more hopeful and say, well, we might see him as early as, say, the Jacksonville game, maybe the Colts game, somewhere around there. We could get lucky and get him back in just a few weeks. And thankfully, he did come back a lot sooner than anticipated, but it it was not the same Alan Lazard, and it took until very nearly the end of the season for him to become a a big contributor again uh, in the way that he has been over the last two years. He was definitely slowed by that injury after he came off the IR, and it took him a long time to get back into form. So, yeah, and, you know, everyone all all offseason, oh, we need receivers, oh, we need receivers. And I'm not disputing the fact that they could use some more depth and and at the position, but even with the receiving core that we have, uh, we had the top scoring offense in the league. So that, that was certainly encouraging. Speaking of top scoring offense, the next week we get the Atlanta Falcons who were an extremely powerful high flying offense. One of the worst defenses in the league. uh, But as far as offense goes, holding them to 16 points was just I can't even I can't even summarize how impressive it was at that time that we held that offense down to only 16 points, especially given the performance we had just had the week prior against the Saints. Now, I was always expecting to win that game because of how bad the Falcons defense was. I was not expecting our defense to completely shut down Matt Ryan and that elite um, receiving core that he has and big, uh, big credit goes to Jair Alexander absolutely erased Calvin Ridley from the uh, stat from, you know, he was not even a factor. I think he had at halftime. I think he's, he still had uh, zero targets. Calvin really did. Yeah. Jair was playing uh, off the charts. It, it helped that Julio Jones was limited in that game and left the game early, but uh, yeah, an excellent job by Jair Alexander And you mentioned Bob Tunyon, who really had his coming out party, three touchdown catches in that game, uh, his best game statistically of the season. And all of a sudden, you know, we had four games, the offense doing, you know, outstanding work in all four and a different player in all four games stepping up to be the complement to Aaron Rodgers, who was outstanding in all four. Now, one dark spot from that game was that uh, the Falcons running backs were able to kind of do whatever they wanted to us. And the Falcons got away from running the ball 
made Matt Ryan just keep throwing it over and over again, which you just never want to get into that situation against Mike Patton and his defense. But it kind of laid some of the groundwork for what we'd see some other teams have success with against us later in the year. Went back to some of the struggles we'd had in 2019. That to me was always a concerning spot. And the question started brewing in my mind, what if a team didn't give up on the run against us. And ultimately we had that question answered uh, a couple weeks later um, when we played the Vikings again, but yeah, bye week was next. And uh, I think all throughout the bye week, there were some lingering uh, questions there because, you know, we had been so good, but Packer fans were already kind of talking about, well, over the last few years, we kind of suck coming out of bye weeks. Are we going to have a post-bye week game coming out of here against the lowly Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who, let's be honest, the Buccaneers are not going to have a good season. They're not going to – I mean, maybe they'll make the playoffs, but uh, they're, they're not going to do anything, Not going to certainly not going to beat any good teams. But, you know, anything could happen. Look at what happened, uh, you know, in 2019 versus the Chargers. So anything could happen. And, well, we know what happened. Yeah, yeah, and you know, this game was Green Bay's up 10 nothing. You think everything is going swimmingly and then uh Aaron Rodgers who what do you have five interceptions all year, two of them come early in the second quarter. One is a pick six, the other one puts the ball on the Green Bay 2-yard line. And Green Bay the, the thing that bothered me most about this game was a the play calling they never really adjusted to the speed of the Tampa Bay linebackers and defensive right, right. front and then and and two is the fact that it just seemed like after those two pick sixes the air came out of the tires and the team did not play inspired football for the rest of the game and they looked defeated well before the game was out of reach and that bothered me yeah, you're not wrong. I think that I think that in there you listed all of the big keys to that game. First of all, was that uh, Matt Lafleur has struggled to make in-game adjustments at times. I think later in the year there were games where he did a much better job of that, but at that point, that was one of the big questions that I came away from this game wondering about: is oh, do we have a guy who can't? adjust and I think that still is an issue with him something he's going to have to continue to mature and grow through as a play caller and the next thing is we had uh, across the entire team pretty much nobody played well in that game I remember last year you know when we had that similar game against the Chargers where everything just fell apart I believe it was Jamal Williams who still had this outstanding grade uh, and and still just played his heart out for four quarters. In this game, you didn't really have anybody with a phenomenal grade on offense or defense, and that was concerning. I don't. I th- I think we all are left with this question, this lingering question, for two years in a row now. Why is it that the Packers? when they start to lose, sometimes they lose big. Now we had, we had uh, the Colts game and the second Vikings game this year that felt just like normal type of losses like other teams have. And to me, that was kind of big because across 2019 and, and 
up until that first loss that we had against the Vikings, or I should say a second loss of the year, but that, that loss against the Vikings this year, we had only ever seen losses where the wheels would just come off entirely. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was similar to the Chiefs a little bit. When you look at, they either win or you look at that Super Bowl game in which they just got the pants beat off of them. So that 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 to me is still something I'm concerned about is there is an issue with our team sometimes just not coming prepared to play. Sometimes they I don't know if they have been out partying the night before and <laughs> I, I I don't know that's that's seriously a legitimate theory, but they also clearly fail to motivate themselves to get back in the game sometimes and I don't know if that rests on LaFleur. I don't know if it rests on Rodgers, who is clearly, you know, has always been, you know, kind of an emotional guy. And it seems like when they are losing, he does tend to kind of clam up a bit and just, all right, you know, I, I, I got to get us back in this game. I'm not really talking to my teammates. I got to find a big play and get us back in here. And that was the other big frustrating thing to me was after those interceptions, they just passed, pass, 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 pass the ball. They keep going three and out, and I'm going, why are you throwing the ball? I know that you are trying to you know, insist that you have confidence in your passing game after these interceptions. I know that you, I know that LaFleur wants to show Rodgers that he still believes in him. Take some pressure off of him, though. Like, look, passing is not working. Let's mix it up a bit. It does not have to be an Aaron Rodgers failure that the passing game isn't working right. But it's definitely a play calling failure if passing isn't working and you give up on the run. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about the play calling adjustments. And this was, to me, the best illustration of that problem that sometimes plagues Matt LaFleur and the Packers. And you also have to remember uh, David Bakhtieri injured in this game, did not finish the game. We had, uh, if I recall correctly, Rick Wagner had to fill in at left tackle where he was a little overmatched. He's good on the right side, not as good against the speed rushers that you'll see coming off the edge on the left side. And, uh, you know, Rodgers was sacked, I think it was five times in this game. And just a, a frustrating loss all the way around. But the good news is the following week, the Packers did bounce back. Now, uh, one last point before we move on, because I do want to move on. But with Rick Wagner, I agree, but I don't about him being a problem in that game. He did allow a sack. That was also the only pressure he allowed the entire game. It just happened to be a sack. Right. But I'm going to agree with you more so based on the second time they played the Buccaneers, in which Rick Wagner and Billy Turner were just completely just run over and just dominated all game long uh, at the tackle positions. So I think you're right, but I think that the second time they played the Buccaneers makes you more right than the first game. Fair enough. That that Texans game, though, that was kind of healing. Um, yeah. And it also marked, you know, the, the beginning of the end for the hapless Houston Texans. And I will always feel sorry for J.J. Watt and, and the horrific interview questions he was asked after that game about, so, you know, you didn't touch Aaron Rodgers at all the whole game. How did that make you feel? Like, <laughs> yeah, it, it sucked. I don't know what else you might say. It sucked. <laughs> yeah. 
that was a fun game, uh, and it was nice to see the offense and defense kind of get back on track. And we saw, you know, that was um, still one of the higher scoring games um, that season by the defense. They allowed 20 points to the Texans, who do have a pretty good de- uh, offense. But you could see such a marked improvement over the last few weeks. You know, they they had been improving after the Saints game. Uh, wheels fell off in the, in the Tampa game, which I couldn't hold against them because that was a failure by everybody. But it was nice to see that continued progression and success of the defense. Yeah, that was uh, very encouraging. And, you know, the thing about Houston, you have such a dangerous quarterback and the, the Packers were able to more or less shut him down while it still mattered. And Aaron Rodgers, once again, on top of his game, Devontae Adams, what more can you say about how dominant he was throughout the season? Yeah, it was a fantastic game from Devontae. And uh, watching him, I, I, I think, you know, clearly at some point, every Packers fan this year engaged in the question, is Devontae the best receiver Aaron Rodgers has ever had? And I think there's a pretty compelling case to be made that, yeah, in fact, he really is. Uh, the connection that he had with Jordy was clearly better, but just uh, as a polished route runner and his ability to get open and just embarrass defensive backs, I don't think that Jordy really holds a candle to Devontae. And, and you're starting to see that Devontae now is starting to hold mo- more and more of the all-time receiving records uh, in franchise history. Yeah, and, you know, the thing I love about Devontae, he is not a diva. He works very hard at his craft, and he's not the fastest guy. He's not the biggest guy, but he has very high football intelligence, and he gains an advantage within a step or two coming off the snap, the way he disguises his uh, different routes and the way that he uses his body to confuse defensive backs and you know, as a student of the game, you turn on the game film. And if you isolate Devontae Adams, that's an education in how you can become a great receiver. And in, in that game against Houston, 13 catches, 196 yards and two touchdowns, including a 45-yard bomb. One of his more dominant performances uh, along with week one against the Vikings. Well, through that first six games of the season, the Packers put together a pretty good five and one record. They were still behind the Chicago bears. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously we were about to see a bunch of things change and, I uh, wish we had time to go over some more games because it's a lot of fun, but, uh, we will absolutely not be giving them the attention they deserve. So we're going to have to pick up again next week and look at round two versus the Vikings. Gil, we got a debate question for today. All right. Lay it on me. Well, Roger Goodell came out and he said that uh, the, t- the the plan is for the NFL to resume their international games again the next year. Uh, should have a London game or two, hopefully um, get down to Mexico. So here's the thing. The Packers are the only team in the league that has not played in London yet. So one of the big issues here is that the Packers have so far been unwilling to give up a home game. Uh, to go to London and the Packer fans travel so well that opposing teams don't want to give up one of their home games against the Packers either. So debate question, is this something that needs to change? Do the Packers need to go ahead and give up a home game to play in London or 
Do we just let this anomaly stand? I would be in favor of letting the anomaly stand. I don't mind going to London. Uh, I would prefer to do it for a road game. You notice that the teams who give up home games in London tend to be teams that don't tend to sell out all of their home games or have trouble selling out their home games. You know, Green Bay, you could have the stadium triple or quadruple the size and they probably still sell out that stadium. The other thing is this to me right now in 2021, uh, the fact that last year there were no fans in the stands, the effect that had on the economy in Green Bay and all the businesses around Lambeau Field and the people who own houses around Lambeau Field, you want them to get their full uh fill of home games this year to try to get the economy back on track and get things back to normal. So maybe down the road, I think the Packers could uh, have a home game in London. I prefer a road game, but definitely not in 2021. I I think they need all eight home games plus the two preseason home games to try to help get things back to normal as quickly as possible. Man, looking at the, uh, Effects that you just outlined from the 2020 season and all that lost revenue, it's awfully hard for me to make a case that they should um, travel over there in 2021. But I will say, whether it's in 2022 or a little bit beyond that, you know, there's a lot of Packer fans um, who live overseas who have had to watch 31 other teams come over and play, and their team alone says, nah, we don't need to do that. And I think that uh, I think the the Packers need to place a higher importance on outreach in making some new fans, creating those uh, those memories and those impressions. You know, I look at how, how successful they were for so many years in building such a a broad fan base across the whole world. My my great grandma grew up in Green Bay, and she just knew the Packers as you know their little hometown team. She was not really aware of the broader uh, impact on the rest of the world. And she went and traveled um, throughout Europe and Asia, and she was just shocked to see all of these fans, you know, walking around like in 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 China who had uh, you know a, a Packers sweatshirt on. And she's going, "What? This is my little hometown. I had no idea." that they had even heard of the Packers over here. And look at uh, when the when Brett Favre won the Super Bowl down in New Orleans. There's a lot of young Packer fans at, who were, who you know joined the fold at that point because of this team coming to town, winning the Super Bowl there, and they had so much personality. And they, they were pretty heavily invested in – reaching out to people. And I think that uh, you look at some of the struggles they've had in recent years, especially like in 2018, when they had a, a worse record overall, six, nine and one. And uh, I believe that the, the team actually lost money that year, or at the very least they, they felt very short of their goals financially. And I think reaching out and uh, making more of an effort to, to come to places where they have fans to build relationships with new fans. I think that could go a long way for the future of the team, both financially and also just, you know, there's a lot of teams out there like the chiefs who are becoming vast favorites uh, across the world. But I I agree. It's going to be really hard to make anything happen in 2021. 
Yeah, and, and I think you could accomplish a lot of what you're seeking as far as the attention is concerned if you have a road game in London just the same. So uh, I think that would – I wouldn't be opposed to that at all this year. And I think down the road, if that goes well, maybe eventually we do see a home game there. Well, folks, it's time for you to weigh in. Head on over to Twitter. You can check us out at JJ Leahy, L-A-H-E-Y, or at Gil Packers, and you can vote – we're going to pin a poll to the top of our profiles, and you can choose, would you like to see the Packers make a bigger effort and go ahead and schedule a game overseas, an international game, even if it may, means giving up a home game? We'd love to hear from you. Last week, you know, the question was, who would you rather see as our new defensive coordinator? Would it be Jim Leonard or Jerry Gray? And uh, yeah, all the results came in. The answer is in. neither. <laughs> <laughs> Who won, by the way? We're going to have to do a whole episode and break down what exactly a Joe Barry defense would look like. But look, for our uh, poll that ended up being really irrelevant last week, uh, it is worth noting that uh, I am the irrelevant king. So ah, my okay. answer of Jim Leonard handily won over your answer of Jerry Gray. Yeah. So I get to carry home the irrelevant trophy. Alrighty, folks, that does it for today. We'll be right back here next week. Remember to follow us on Twitter. Again, that's at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. <laughs> or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not